Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk. Morning to those of you, probably more of you than normal, watching online because of the rain. Uh, It's good to be with you guys. I hope that uh, this weekend, though it's been a little bit rainy, I hope it's been a good weekend for you. Yesterday, we had a great time at the pumpkin painting party that wasn't exactly the way we planned it to be, Uh, but we had a good time. We made it a drive-through, and we got a chance to meet a lot of of new families and just get connected with some folks, and so uh, it was fun, and we got got wet a little bit and cold, but it it was worth it. So uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, we're entering into... A very controversial time uh, for families in our church, for people in our state, for people in our country. Homes are pretty divided on different things, and uh, I know we feel it in our home. We feel some tension in our home around some things that are just kind of dividing us right now. And before you get nervous, I'm not going to talk about vaccines or anything like that, but I am going to talk about something that is deeply like divides families. And it's dividing families even right now because people have different viewpoints. And here's the big thing that people have different viewpoints about that is dividing families. And it's, it's simply this. When is it okay to listen to Christmas music? I mean, re- I mean you, got, you guys get nervous. Like, I thought Chris never got political. Now he's about to step into that. No, no. Like, like when's it okay? Like, for some of you, you're like, I I never stop listening to Christmas music. It's not a start and stop. I never stop. For others of you that are kind of like me, you're you're like, man, don't box me into a time. I I don't box myself into a certain date or a a time. If if Michael Buble's Christmas album finds my my playlist in July, so be it. And so I'm going to listen to it as it comes and kind of enjoy it throughout the summer and and, uh, you know, just, I, I don't want to be boxed in. I may just throw some Christmas music, some, some Ben Crosby or something. Maybe last May, maybe I was listening to it. And you never knew about it. But then there's others of you that are like my wife, that you put a definite date on this thing. And if, if a Christmas song happens to make its way into a playlist that you're listening to before that date, you shut it down pretty quick. And I mean, we have this conversation quite a bit in, in our family because I'm the one that's like, hey, I, I may listen to some Christmas music. I might be working on my message in July in Starbucks, just jamming to a Christmas playlist. My wife thinks I'm not going to heaven because of that. Be- because for her, and some of you are like her, for her, it's, it's legal to listen to Christmas music after Thanksgiving. And that's kind of her, like, that's when we listen to Christmas music. And so, and you, you have maybe a different viewpoint. I know one year on my birthday, my birthday's earlier in November, and my wife stepped way out of her comfort zone on my birthday and decorated our house for Christmas. And I knew, I, I knew she loved me then 
because I came home early November and our house was decorated with Christmas and the Christmas music was on and I mean, that, she stepped way out of her comfort zone to do that for me, so I, I appreciate that. But, but you know, you, in your family, you have different viewpoints on Christmas music. You have different viewpoints on, you know, certain movies that you're going to watch at certain times. You have some holiday traditions that you, 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 know, you, you know you're going to do. And for you, based on how you view a really good Christmas and, and what does a really good holiday season look like to you, what you're going to do is you're going to try to line up these different things to have the perfect Christmas season for your family. And so It'll be some certain movies that we always watch this movie on this day or, you know, we always do this tradition and, and you're going to try to line things up because in your viewpoint, there's a certain way you do the holiday season that makes it special. And there's maybe, maybe your husband or wife, spouse, you have different views and so you kind of come together and you, you come up with what does it look like to have a great holiday season and based on your view, you act. And, and for us, this, this may be a simple way to say this, because this, this is something we do not just as it relates to Christmas and Christmas music and our views on the holiday season, but we do this in every area of our life. Based on our views of different things, our actions follow. You, we could say it simply like this, our view impacts our actions. So the way we view things it impacts what we do, how we do it, when we do it. That's like a duh, yeah, of course. And over the last week, we, we began to ask ourselves a question about one of our viewpoints. And the question we asked ourselves last week that we want to talk a little bit about this week and over this next couple weeks is a question that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're investigating faith, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, all of us can answer this question, and we could answer it maybe in a different way. And the question is simply this. How do you view the church? When you hear the word church, and when you think of church, like what's your viewpoint of church? For some, the, the, the picture of church is, and maybe you wouldn't call it this, but it's kind of like a social club. It's a Go there, I connect with people, I network a little bit, I kind of check the, the box of uh, doing something for a nonprofit organization, I can kind of check that box, and, and you kind of look at it as a social thing. For, for other people, if, if you're honest and you say, man, how do I view the church? You would say, I kind of view it like a spiritual building, like it's a place I go to, it's, a, it's like a spiritual building. I usually go to that building the same time every week, unless it's really rainy outside, then I'll stay home. But I'm sorry, people online. Uh, but but we, we stay home or, or whatever, but, but we view it as a, a place. We view it as a place that I go to, that, that maybe I, I, I talk to some people, we sing some songs about God, maybe there's some good coffee in the back, maybe a guy gets up and yells at me for 30 minutes, and, and you're like, that's, that's what church is. I got to go to the building. I got to get yelled at for 30 minutes. I got to have some coffee in the lobby and maybe drop a little money in the tithe thing, and that's kind of church to you. And maybe that's how you kind of view it. When you think of church, you view it as kind of just a spiritual building. But, but here's the, the bigger question that we began to ask last week, and I want to throw it back out to you. If you're watching online or if you're here this morning, and here's the question. 
does your view of church match Jesus' intention for the church? Like, like when Jesus began the church, when he, 2,000 years ago, uh, he, he started this thing, was what he pictured and what he, he, his intention for what the church would be, does it match our viewpoint of it? Does it match? Was Jesus, when he was talking about the church, was he talking about a cute building with some good coffee and hopefully some padded seats in case I get too tired and I need to take a nap? Is that what Jesus was thinking about when he talked about the church? Because right after Jesus, or right before Jesus died, he made a very audacious statement. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said this. He said, I will build my church. And when he said the word church, he wasn't thinking about a cute building with padded seats. When he talked about the word church, what he was talking about, he was talking about an assembly of called out ones. He was talking about people, not a building. And Jesus said, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That phrase, gates of Hades, is basically gates of death. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to start something that's going to be unstoppable. I'm going to start a movement of called out people that will not be stopped even by death. Nothing will stop it. It's going to be unstoppable. And Jesus made that statement, and we now, 2,000 years later, can see it played out. There was a guy that lived right around when Jesus lived. He, he was a doctor. His name was Luke. And we've looked at some of Luke's passages and some of his accounts before. But Luke, he wrote an account of the humble and explosive beginning of this thing called the church. In fact, Luke was a guy. He was a doctor. And, and he actually wrote two accounts. He wrote the book of Luke. But then he wrote kind of a second half of his account, and, and we know that as the book of Acts. And, and as, as Luke writes, you're going to see as he, he begins to tell us, Jesus has said, hey, I'm going to build my church and nothing's going to stop it. And Luke kind of gives us a backstage pass at the very beginnings of that very humble but explosive beginning of this thing we know called the church. And in Acts chapter 1, he says this, and you, you can look on the screen or it's in the app or you pull out your Bible, Acts chapter 1, it says this. This is Luke writing. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's saying, hey, Theophilus, this guy who's probably uh, probably a Roman official who's a follower of Jesus. He says, hey, buddy, remember that first kind of half, the, the first half I wrote to you, and I told you about Jesus' birth. I told you about his life. I told you about a lot of his miracles. I told you about his death. But now I'm writing a second half, kind of a to be continued. And I'm going to pick up right after Jesus, right when he died, and, and I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. And he says, and this is what the book of Acts is. And, and he goes into the story of the beginning of the church. He says this in verse 2. He says, until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so here's Luke. He's a doctor, remember. So doctor, probably a pretty detailed guy. 
And so what he does is he begins the second half of his story by just taking the first few phrases and paragraphs and kind of reviewing what happened between Jesus' death and the time he left earth. And so he takes just a few verses and he talks about what, what actually took place from the time Jesus died to the time he actually left earth. And that was about a 40-day period of time. He says this. He says, after he, talking about Jesus, had suffered. So he reminds him. You guys remember, like, Theophilus, you remember when the, the whole crucifixion thing, and remember Jesus, he died, and remember how bad that was? In fact, Isaiah tells us that, man, it was so bad that Jesus didn't even look like a human being. He, Isaiah says it this way. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a a man. And his form did not resemble a human being. And so he he starts, Luke says, hey, remember when he suffered? And that word suffered is a small word, but man, it's, it's big because Jesus went through a lot. Remember that, Theophilus? And then, and then what Luke does in his first account is he tells us, well, Jesus died, but, but you remember what he did, what happened right after he died? And in Luke chapter 23, verse 50, let me read to you what Luke said in his, his first account. He said, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and action. This guy, he, he didn't agree with Jesus being crucified. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in the tomb, cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. And so Luke, he says, hey, remember when he suffered? Remember? And then remember kind of that first account I I told you about what happened. Somebody came and took Jesus' body and they put him in a grave. Remember? And, And this is really important because this next part is what this whole thing rides on. Like history tells us, everybody historically agrees that, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus. Yeah, we, yeah. Yeah, and that, that guy, he died. Like, yeah, of course. And that, that history tells us that, biblical history, secular history, yeah, he died. And so Luke's reviewing, you know, remember that? He, he died, he suffered. Remember what I told you in my first account, how, how Joseph came and took his body and they, they put it in a tomb? Yep, I, I remember that. Well, now... Luke goes on, and again, he's a doctor. He's investigated this, and he begins to lay out really the foundational power behind the the church. And he says this. He says, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. So, so remember Theophilus, remember he suffered. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember how gruesome that was. And, and they took his body down and they put it in a tomb. I remember that. You told me about that in the last, in the last letter that you wrote me. I remember that. Well, well Theophilus, you, you got to know this too. He, he not only died, but he, he rose again. He, he actually proved to the world that he was alive. And that word proofs is an important word. It's the only time in the New Testament that this word is used. And here's what it means. It refers to demonstrable evidence. Not, hey, somebody told me, then somebody told me that they saw Jesus. It wasn't wasn't that kind of evidence. It was, no, 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 no. We ate with Jesus. 
We, we, we like hung out with Jesus. We, we touched Jesus. Like Jesus was alive after he was dead. He rose from the grave. And, and, and Luke's telling Theophilus this. He says, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. From the time Jesus rose from the dead to the time he went back to heaven, there was 40 days and he spent it with a lot of his followers. Paul, in, a, in another passage of scripture, he says it this way, Paul, as Paul's describing kind of who Jesus came and spent time with, he says this, he says, he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of them are still alive. And so Paul and Luke are writing about, this isn't just this Jesus that died and, and then they put his body in a grave, like People saw Jesus. Hundreds of people saw Jesus alive. This isn't like an Elvis sighting in the National Enquirer. This isn't like, hey, there was this hunter out in the middle of the wilderness, and he took a very blurry picture of what we think is Bigfoot. No, no, this, this is, dude, we watched the game with Jesus last night. Like we had some wings together. Like we played a game, like we hung out, we saw the scars, like we were with him. It wasn't we heard somebody or we saw a, a, a blurry picture of maybe what could have been Jesus. No, dude, Jesus hung out with us in our house like he did before he died. He's alive. And after Luke reminds Theophilus of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, Luke tells of Jesus's last instructions. So he's died, he's risen from the dead, and, and now Luke, he, he spends like just the next few verses saying, hey, let me tell you the last thing Jesus said before he left. And in those last statements, you will see what is the catalyst to what we call the church that's now over 2,000 years old. He says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. He told the guys, he said, guys, I know it's kind of getting crazy here in Jerusalem, but just stay here. Stay here for a little bit. He says, I want you to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And so Jesus tells us, guys, this is, he's getting ready to leave. He says, guys, when I leave, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Because, you guys, I know you, you don't probably remember me saying this, even though I said it probably a hundred times to you, but you, you weren't listening, you didn't understand it, but I remember when I told you when I left, I was going to send a Holy Spirit. I was going to send someone else, and, and that person wasn't going to walk beside you. That person was going to be inside you. The Holy Spirit was going to give you courage. The Holy Spirit was going to convict you. The Holy Spirit was going to give you peace and hope. Stay in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is coming. I want you to stay here. And verse 6 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So the guys are like, and they've been confused about this kind of the whole time. Like, okay, Jesus, so now that you're alive, like we, we had the whole kingdom thing and we were following you thinking you were going to set up your kingdom. And 
And then you died, and that kind of messed up the whole plan for us. But then you came back to life. So are we going to do this kingdom thing? Are we, we good? Like, it's time to take Rome down and political power. And we, we ready to do that? And what's interesting, Jesus didn't correct them. He didn't say, nope, you're wrong. We're never going to do that. But what he did is he redirected them. Because there will be a day that Jesus' kingdom will reign on earth. But Jesus says, it's not time yet. It's not time for that, but it is time for something else. And so, guys, I, I, want, you to, I want you to look. I'm going to say something to you, and then I'm about to leave. But I want you to listen in, because what I'm about to say to you is going to be the catalyst to everything you do for the rest of your life. And it's going to impact generations for thousands of years. He says this in verse 8. Jesus, what we see, we don't, we don't know any other words. This is literally... This next verse is Jesus' final words to his closest followers. This next verse. And it says this. This is what Jesus said. He says, guys, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Guys, you're going you're gonna to have supernatural power power and that power is going to have a purpose it's going to live inside you it's coming and he says this you're not just going to hang on to that power you're going to use it and he says this and you will be my witnesses so so you're going to receive this power this holy spirit that's going to come live inside you and and, and then you're going to be my witnesses so what, what does that mean jesus you're going to go around and spend the rest of your life telling people the truth about me. You're, you're going to spend the rest of your life, uh, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to tell people what you've seen and heard. You're going to be a witness. You're going to have supernatural power inside of you, and I want you to spend the rest of your life telling people what you've seen and what you've heard, what you've experienced as you've been with me. We do this all the time. If you've got a grandkid or you've got a kid that your little girl just had an awesome dance recital. Man, you're coming to church. You've got some pictures out and you're, you're, explain, you're so excited to tell people, man, you should have seen that pink thing she was wearing and oh, it was so cute when they did this. And I mean, you're, you're being a witness. You're telling us what you saw, what you heard, what you experienced. You're so excited to do that. If your kid, your son, man, he threw the winning touchdown like he was the quarterback and threw it, man, you got that thing on video and you're explaining it to everybody. You're so excited. You don't even care if you annoy people. You're just like, I got to tell you what I saw. I got to tell you what my kid did. And you explain it. You're a witness. Or if you get in a wreck, maybe, maybe you see a wreck and, and you know, somebody runs a red light and, and bumps into somebody else and the policeman comes, they, they come to you and they say, hey, you, you were a witness of this. Could you just tell us what you saw? Could you just don't, you don't have to tell me what you didn't see. You don't have to make stuff up. All I want you to do is just tell me what you saw, what you heard. Just tell me. Tell me your viewpoint on this thing. And that's what Jesus told his followers. Jesus tells his followers, hey, I, I just want you to go and tell others what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, how it's changed you. Just go tell people. You don't got to make stuff up. Just tell them. Be a witness. 
And then he says this. He, he gives them a, a little bit of a plan or kind of a strategy. Like, okay, where do we start? He, he says this. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. Then I want you to go to all Judea. I want you to go then to Samaria. And then I want you to take this message. I want you to take it to the ends of the earth. So, so we have a map, I think, of Israel that we're going to put up. I know, I know it's a little bit small, but, but basically here's what Jesus is saying. So this little dot right here where my finger is, this is Jerusalem. And so Jesus says, hey guys, you're going to have power inside of you, and, and here's what I want you to do. I just want you to go to Jerusalem first and just tell people what you've seen and heard. I want you to go basically to your hometown when you're, when you're done in your neighborhood, to your family, and just tell them. But, but then, guys, when you're, when you're done in Jerusalem, this, this area here that's kind of brown, it's Judea. I want you to then expand, and, and I want you to, it's still the same culture, but it's maybe more people. I want you to take that same message, and I just want you to tell a bigger group. Tell Judea. And then he says, but then I want you to go to a different culture. People that aren't like you. In fact, people that you don't really like. I want you to go to Samaria, and that's this part up here. You started in Jerusalem, now you've expanded to Judea, and then I want you to go to a totally different culture, and I want you to be a witness. I want you to take what you've seen and heard, and I want you to tell Samaria. And then when you tell Samaria, what I want you to do is I want you to take this message to the ends of the earth. You can put that next picture up and and, and for these people, in their minds, the Roman Empire was the ends of the earth. 1,400 miles, pretty big, big empire. And Jerusalem is right over here. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to start right, right at home, just in your neighborhood. Go to your next door neighbor. Talk to your, your son. He, he's in the next room over. I want you to start at home. I want you to just, just be a witness. You don't got to have a degree in theology. You don't got to know everything about your Bible. I just want you to tell them what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, and start at home. And then I want you to go to another culture, maybe, maybe a little farther away, people that aren't just like your neighbors, and tell them. But, but don't forget about the rest of the world. I want you to take this message. The whole world needs to hear this. Take it to the ends of the earth. It says this in verse, verse 9. After he had said this, he was taken up. As they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. For me, if, when I get to heaven, if there's like a streaming service where I can watch old videos, I want to watch this, if this is an option. Like, man, what, what was this like? Like, what, what was it like to just be hanging out with Jesus? He gives me this, like, strong command, this plan, and then all of a sudden, Jesus starts, like, lifting up, and he's, like, into the clouds, and he's, where'd he go? And it says this, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. Like, what the heck just happened? Where did Jesus go? And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here like looking up into heaven? Like, what, you guys, something wrong? What's wrong, guys? What, what are you waiting for? What's the problem? 
And then the, the angels say to him, hey, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. He said, these guys, these angels say, hey, guys, why are you hanging out up here on the mountain looking up in the sky? He, he left. He's done for a while. So, so go. He'll, he's going to come back. So just, just go do what he told you to do. Go. He'll be back. Don't worry. Go. And here's what's interesting. Most of the guys that the angel was talking to, most of the guys and gals that Jesus was giving that final command to, they were uneducated. They weren't wealthy. Most of them were not known. They were fishermen. They were, they, they, some of them weren't even liked in their society. But, but they had something in them. They had something in them that, that was so special. And, and here's what it was. They had, they had a relationship with Jesus. They had seen Jesus live. They had seen Jesus love people. They had seen Jesus die. They had seen Jesus rise from the dead. And he had rescued them from their hopelessness. He, they had experienced that. Their families had experienced that. And his instructions to them were, hey, guys, just go tell others what you've experienced and and start with your family start with your neighbor and then take it to the ends of the earth and here's the great thing you're not going to go alone the holy spirit is going to be inside of you it's going to empower you and and when you start to get discouraged when you start to think it's not working remember this i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overpower it. Hey, guys, it ain't up to you. You just go tell people what you've seen and heard, and I will build the church. I will build an unstoppable movement that not even death. In fact, death itself will become a catalyst to the thing growing. Persecution will become a catalyst to this thing exploding. I will build my church. And and here's what's interesting. If you were to take the book of Acts and you were to read through the rest of the book of Acts, and we're going to spend a little time in it next week, but if you were to read through the rest of the book of Acts, here's what you would see. Chapter 1 through 7, you would see them do what Jesus said in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 12, you would see them expand and go to Judea and Samaria with the message. And then really the second half, and and maybe a little bit more than the second half of this account, you would see a guy by the name of Paul, who used to be someone who hated Jesus and was against him, had now been transformed by Jesus, and he's literally taking the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. In fact, Acts closes with Paul in Rome. And you know what he's doing while he's there? Telling people what he's seen, and he's heard, and he's experienced, and how Jesus has changed him. It worked. It worked. Which leads us back to the question we kind of started with. And that question is simply this. Does your view of the church match Jesus' intention for the church? Like no, no matter 
where you are as it relates to faith, no matter if you've had a terrible experience with the church or, or if you've had a great experience with the church in your past, does Jesus' intention and what we hear explained and what we read in Acts and what we see happening, does that match your view? Or if you're honest, do you see the church as this, this place I go, maybe kind of a social club, maybe a building, kind of spiritual building that I try to get to a few times a month, and if I can do that, I kind of feel less guilty, and I kind of check that box in my life, and, and hopefully I get a little nugget from the pastor, maybe a little something to help me in my life throughout the week, because that's not what Jesus was talking about. That was a small part of it, but Jesus' intention for the church was so much bigger I mean, have you ever wondered, and maybe you wouldn't admit this, maybe you're watching online, have you ever wondered if there's more to this thing than just filling a seat on Sunday? Like, like is there more to this thing than coming and singing a couple songs and, and maybe getting some, some things to help me in my life the next week? Is, is it bigger than this? Is there more to this? I mean, have you ever wondered why the next generation who's so passionate about so many things seems bored with Christianity? I mean, could it, could it be that we have made the church a place we visit instead of an unstoppable movement that Jesus said it would be, and he said, I will build it and it will not be stopped? Have we made it a building and stopped focusing on the movement? See, when Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, he was giving us a pattern, and he was inviting us into a mission. This wasn't something just for Peter and Paul. This is something for us. This is something that he invites us into. And and instead of, and maybe, I don't know if you read the Bible like this, but have you... Instead of kind of coming to church and maybe being bored with it, and we obviously wouldn't admit that, but, but instead of that, have you ever wondered, like, could it be like the book of Acts? Like, we, we read about this crazy movement of people by the thousands coming to Christ, people's lives being transformed, and we, we read it almost like it's a fairy tale, like, oh, yeah, that was great back then. Could it happen now? Like, like, could we, is that only for back then, or could we experience more than just casual couple times a month Christianity? What would it look like if we really dove into this idea that we are part of a movement, and, and, and we would join in that movement with the same passion and sacrifice that Peter did, and John did, and Luke did, and Paul did? Because it can be like the book of Acts. It can be just like that. It can be more explosive than the book of Acts. And I think it comes down to a couple things. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to lean in on this. I think think it comes down to two things. At least two things. And and the first one is this. I I think we have to own the mission. Like we have to own this, this mission that it's, man, this is not, it's not somebody else's job. It's not, oh, this is what used to happen. No, this is our job. 
Like, this is as much for us as it was for Peter. This is as much for us as it was for those people that Jesus talked to right before he left. We have to own the mission that that we have a role to reach Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world. Like, that's our job. We have to be a part of that. That's why we do things like standing in the rain and passing out pumpkins. Because... Man, we, we believe God wants to do something in Yuba Sutter. We believe there's thousands upon thousands of people right around us that need Jesus. And it's way worth standing in the rain and passing out pumpkins if it will just give us an opportunity to share Jesus. Just to tell people what we've seen and heard. The West. It's why as a church that's just two and a half years old, we are already supporting a church planner in Denver. That's going to start a church in February. It's why in two weeks when you come to church, you're going to meet two Indian brothers that are starting a church in San Francisco that we're going to get behind. Because we feel like this isn't somebody else's job. It's not our job once we become an established church that's 10 years old. No, it's our job to reach Yuba Sutter. It's our job to reach, to to be a part of reaching the West. And it's our job to get the word out to the rest of the world. It's why next week we're going to, do, we're going to pass out Operation Christmas Child boxes. It's why in a couple weeks I'm going to be in Africa for a few days spending some time with a missionary who's in a part of the world that he can't even tell people he's a pastor. I'm going to be with him because I'm going to find out how our church can help him reach his area. Because this isn't... This isn't something for somebody else to do. This is our our part. It's our role. We are stewards of years that we have before we go home to be with Jesus. And we want to steward them well. We want to be a part of reaching Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world. And so in order to do that, we have to own the mission. But number two, we have to be a witness. Be a witness. And, and sometimes this intimidates us like, do I got to like know this whole thing? What if somebody asks me a question I don't know? Like, join the club. I get asked questions I don't know all the time. You guys ask me questions I don't know. And I probably blow smoke trying to make up. No, I don't really. But uh, no, you ask me. I mean, yeah, who, who knows all that stuff? Nobody. But, but here's what you do know. You know what Jesus did in your life. You know how Jesus healed your marriage. You know how Jesus gave you peace when you were going through a really tough time. You you know how Jesus helps you with your patience. You know how Jesus has taken bitterness out of your life. You know how you have forgiven people that you didn't think deserved forgiveness. Jesus has done something in your life. And all we're supposed to do is announce to the world, Jesus is alive and this is what he's done in my life. This is what I've experienced. This is how his death and resurrection has changed me. Maybe you should consider it too. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're watching online. And for you, I would invite you to at least consider, maybe lean in again. Consider starting a relationship with Jesus. I know you've probably, for some of you, you've experienced some crazy stuff in the name of the church, and you've experienced maybe some hurt from people that said they were followers of Jesus, and and I I get it. 
I'd encourage you to make, as much as it's hard, just set that aside and would you just maybe lean into this idea, did Jesus really live, did Jesus really die, and did he really rise again? And if he did, it might be good to consider a relationship with him. Because Luke tells us, he tells us that, man, after Jesus' body was put in the grave, it got up out of the grave. And a lot of people saw a risen Savior. A lot of people experienced Jesus being with them over 40 days. Paul tells us, man, back then when he was writing, it's like some of the people are still alive. If, if you don't believe me, go at, actually go ask them. They hung out with Jesus. And it's why if, if, if you would be willing to just lean in and say, man, I, I'm going to set aside maybe all the baggage of the church. I'm going to set aside how I've been hurt. And I'm just going to lean into the fact that Jesus loves me. He died for my sin. He rose from the grave. And he gives me an opportunity to have a relationship with him that will transform me from the inside out. Would you be willing to do that? Let's pray. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you would say, hey, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure, kind of, I don't have all the answers. I got a lot, maybe more questions than I have answers. But Chris, I, I get it. I, I, I'm leaning in. I, I do believe that Jesus lived, that Jesus died for my sin, not for his sin, but for mine. And that when they put his body in the grave, he, he rose from the grave and he's alive. And Chris, but because I believe that, man, I, I do. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching online or maybe you're listening to this podcast. You can make that decision right where you're at. Just tell God, just tell God in your heart, God, I, I admit to you that I've disobeyed, I've broken your laws. I, I do, I admit that I've sinned. Just tell him. Tell, tell him that you believe. I, I do, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to live, die, and rise from the dead for me. Just tell him. And, and then just ask Jesus to, to come. Just, Jesus, would you come and start, I want to start a relationship with you. I want you to live inside me. I want you to save me. Just tell him. If you're here this morning and, and you prayed that prayer, you made a decision, I'd encourage you to take the decision card that's right in front of you and just fill that out and maybe put it in the offering box on your way out. And We just want to call you this week and not going to bug you, but we just want to make sure you understand your decision. For those of you that are watching online, if you made a decision, you can go to citywalk.cc and you can fill out a card right there. We'd love to connect with you this week and answer any questions you have. Maybe you're here, and, and I know for most of you, you, you are a follower of Jesus. And, and maybe if you're honest, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you would say, Chris, my view of the church, honestly, has been kind of something I come to once in a while. And yeah, I try to get involved. I try to be a part of it a little bit. I maybe give a little money. I do a little, I stand out in the rain a little bit and pass out pumpkins, but I really never owned the mission. I always thought I was helping you do this stuff. How could your life change if this became your mission, not just 
our church's mission? What if it became your mission to reach your neighborhood? What if it became your mission to reach other cultures? What if it became your mission to get the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth? And and what if you just today simply said the same question I asked you to pray last week, Jesus, what part of your movement do you want me to be a part of? You might be in this room and over the next few years as we plant churches, God might be calling you to be one of the people that helps plant it. There might be some people in this room and, and God's calling you to start a little Bible study at your work or start to share Christ with the person you sit at the lunch table with every day at school. What part do you need to play in the mission? Lord, I thank you for the book of Luke and the book of Acts and Lord, just uh, the story of what you did on earth and the movement that you started And Lord, we're just so thankful to be a part of it. We're so thankful that you included us. God, I pray that we would listen intently to what your Spirit's telling us, and I pray that we would obey courageously. In Jesus' name, amen.